Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Good morning to you, and you're listening to Morning Shot. I'm Lin Lee. Singapore is looking to double down on fighting financial crime, and that's set to be done through a newly passed legislative framework, laying the groundwork for the country to build its first centralised digital platform that will allow financial institutions to confidentially request and share targeted information on individuals and companies. This is to help flag, detect and prevent money laundering, terrorism financing, as well as proliferation financing. For more on the gravity of this issue and how crucial this move is in the bigger move to root out financial crime, we're joined by Associate Professor Kelvin Law from the Division of Accounting at NTU's Nanyang Business School. Very good morning to you, Kelvin. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me. Okay, let's step back a little bit. What are the first uh, indicators signaling a potential illicit transaction such as money laundering or terrorism financing and proliferation financing, the key areas that this platform is hoping to target. Right. Usually when we have talk about these uh, money laundering, there's some indicators that cover kind of suspicion transactions, right? Mm-hmm. So this platform is actually trying to gather all this information. In other words, it's kind of like getting the blacklist from all these banks mm-hmm. and then kind of put in a centralized platform. So all the banks can go into the platform and see uh, whether their other customers have a similar issues. So when they kind of like um, receive a request from a new customer, they will kind of check up the uh, profile in that system to see whether um, the client is already in the backlist of another bank. Okay, so do we know how extensive the financial crime networks are and are we really getting to the root of the problem here? Yeah, it's really difficult to tell how big the um, the size of the problem is. Um, there are many academic studies or even uh, some papers try to understand the size of the market, but they can give you a rough estimate uh, because there's no scientific method to do that. But the rough estimate, um, the best one I can find is like the UN last year, they did a report. So the size of the market, about 2 to 5% of the global GDP. So put in the dollar term, there'll be about 800 billion to 2 trillion US dollars. Wow. Yeah, that's quite big. Yeah. Mm. So how frequently do such crimes happen? Yeah, it's difficult to tell. Uh, they're quite frequent, I would say, because uh, usually once the banks, they have the anti-money laundering system, they usually block these kind of transactions. But the problem is we don't know how large the scale is because these are all proprietary data. So the banks mm. themselves, they know it unless they file the report with the government. Otherwise, the public won't be able to know the size of the problem. Mm. MES has identified the inability of financial institutions to alert one another to unusual activity in their customers' accounts as one of the crucial weaknesses to effectively detect uh, fin- illicit financial flows currently. So could you give us an example of illustrating the challenge banks face in weeding out these potentially suspicious accounts? Yeah, I think the main two problems here, the first one is the legal concern. So before this act, um, the banks, they have their legal challenge, try to share the data or the information with other banks. For example, if I have a customer, I have a problem, and then I have um, known that the customer probably doing money laundering, mm. I cannot really, in a legal way, try to tell other banks, hey, this, <laughs> this person has a problem. Yes. Uh, so this act is coming in, try to solve the issue by giving a legal protection, say, yes, you can say it out now, uh, you, you are totally fine in terms of legal speaking, so you just share the information. I think that's the first one this act try to tackle. Um, the bottleneck, this is the first one. The second bottleneck is like 
even uh, if the incentive, even some banks, they know um, my customer have this kind of issues. Sometimes they have lack of incentive to try to share with others. Don't forget, I mean, they're competitors in a really, really competitive industry. So um, if I tell you what's the good for me to do so. So this platform solved this issue because like in the early phase, even though it's voluntary, the, uh, the bank gives the information. But later on, I expect the system will uh, require the banks to kind of like mandatorily cover disclose the information. If that's the case, then the banks don't have this like, incentive issue because they have to do it. As you've described, financial criminals of today avoid detection right, by making illicit transactions across an ever-shifting web of accounts. In what ways is that behaviour different from that of the past? Right. It's really more uh, complex now. Uh, because used to be, uh, you can see the money flowing in and out, like usually using offshore banks or the banks doing transactions. But now uh, we have cryptocurrency, right? So you can like do a uh, combo, like uh, some bank transactions and then with some cryptocurrency transactions. I mean, for the bank transaction, you can track them down. But for the cryptocurrency, sometimes you just uh, have some wallet address. So you can't really tell who are the actually uh, beneficial recipient of the money. So it's more complex right now. All right, we're speaking with Associate Professor Kelvin Law from the Division of Accounting at NTU's Nanyang Business School. Kelvin, I'm just thinking mm-hmm. about the uh, potential consequences of this new platform. Are there any challenges in implementing this platform? Yeah, uh, the concern I have is the false positive cases. I mean, uh, it's good that we kind of like put the um, money laundering cases in the system mm-hmm. so they cannot get the new account in other banks or get the business uh, to do with other banks. But the problem is um, how about those, um, some individuals may be innocently or accidentally being put on a list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would try to think about this system as a no-fly list. Right. I mean, sometimes no finalists kind of like catch the uh, catch the bad guy. That's good. But sometimes, like people kind of like mistakenly put on a list. Once you are on the list, there are two problems here. I mean, how do you get off from the list? That's number one. Mm. There's um, there's not really clear steps on how uh, to put an innocent people off from the list. That's number one. Mm. Number two is. Uh, Sometimes um, you, you, you just don't know whether the person being put on the list actually know that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so there's no, I, I, based on what I've seen so far, I'm not sure. Maybe they will get a call from the bank say, hey, can you tell me more about the transaction? But after that, maybe they don't know they were already on the list. So I think that's a step they need to know. Like, um, that's the concern that I have. They, they have to have the right due diligence in that sense. Mm. So from a legal point of view, what are some of the appropriate safeguards should be put in place to prevent misuse? Right, right. I, I think there are three of them. Uh, the first one is like, there should be a clear appeal process from the banks themselves or from the platform itself. So once you put on the list, you have to have a clear appeal process. Uh, that's number one. Number two is like customers have the right to know uh, if they are put on the list. So because like sometimes they, they, they just need to have some sort of notification. Mm-hmm. So um, for the false positive cases, they have a chance to do their own work. The third one, I think, is uh, the system itself has to be ordered independently. So once a year, maybe people will need to look into whether it's efficiency mm-hmm. uh, and then whether the system is doing what it's supposed to do. So this latest move, how much of a paradigm shift would you say it is when it comes to sharing of information from bank to bank? I think it's a really good step, but like in terms of how good would 
that be I need to wait and see because there's a lot of things that are still um, not sure. For example, now we only have six banks, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how large the net will cash in the future. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, so that is the the breadth. I mean, in terms of the depth, uh, depth is like um, how many transactions are we going to put in the system? Now we have three of them, right? But there are actually more than that. Um, so how many kind of um, transactions are we going to be put in the system like mandatorily? Because in the early stage is still voluntary now. So I think it's the uh, mandatory that will get the system to work, not the voluntary. But it's a good step to begin with. How effective do you think this platform will be? Are you optimistic about it? I'm optimistic about it. Uh, also, I, I think the most important thing is the data quality. Mm. I mean, people may submit the transaction report, the report into the system, but like, how good are data uh, actually are um, is it like um, maybe I think are we putting the right amount of data on the mm-hmm. platform so other people other banks will know sufficiently know what's going on not just one word say hey red flag <laughs> and that's it uh, the second one is like um, you know how fast is the information uh, for the sufficient transaction reporting uh, people, typically people file in 30 days but this system they don't specify how many days you need but uh, cover the file the file right for example you might report it within one day, you might report it within 30 days. I think one versus 30 days, that will be quite different in terms of timing. So yeah, it will be a good step. But again, it will depend on the data quality, which is really important in this kind of high-frequency real-time system. How do you reconcile different types of data, especially yeah, with overseas banks uh, in, the, in the picture as well? Yeah, it's really difficult. So, um, so if you have um, kind of a discount system, if you want to uh, reconcile, it's really difficult. So you need to some other banks from overseas try to open up and say, hey, can you confirm this kind of transactions? Hmm. Sometimes it's not easy. Um, because uh, usually this kind of relationship, they are personal relationship, personally in terms of a bank to bank, right? So if you have a transaction with that bank, so maybe you ask them, they are willing to tell you what is going on. But sometimes um, there's no official channel try to tell you, hey, we have a red flag case here. Mm. Can you confirm you ha- also have the same problem over there? It's super difficult. I think there's no uh, obvious way to try to do that unless the bank, they can like officially ask the other bank to do it. Yeah. Mm, all right. Thank you very much for your insights and perspectives this morning, Kelvin. We've been speaking with Associate Professor Kelvin Law from the Division of Accounting at NTU's Nanyang Business School. Have a good day ahead. You too. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.